Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. So can we talk about mosquitoes for a moment? Every summer, when the bugs get bad, I go through this routine. First, I try citronella oil or some other natural repellent, and it smells nice, but usually it doesn't work very well. So then I switch to DEET, which does work, but it's nasty and it destroys my bike shorts and I hate putting it on. So that's been the song and dance for most of my life. But last year, a friend introduced me to a repellent called Picaridin. It's just as effective as DEET, if not more so, but it's so much nicer to wear and it doesn't eat through your gear. Picaridin is made by Sawyer, a company that specializes in products meant to keep you safe while you enjoy the outdoors. Sawyer is one of our sponsors for this episode, and they have a deal for you. You can get 25% off your entire order at SawyerSafeTravel.com when you enter the promo code OTPOD25. That's SawyerSafeTravel.com, promo code OTPOD25. And we have a link to that on our website as well. Many of us get outdoors to reflect on our lives. Nature is a kind of escape, a sanctuary where we can leave behind the stressors of everyday life. But what happens when the thing you've come to rely on for peace and reflection becomes a place of trauma? On this episode, writer Meg Atterbury shares a story about a freak climbing accident. It's a story about being betrayed by the thing you love, and it's about shifting the way you relate to both your favorite pastime and your parents. I'll let Meg take it from here. One of the most vivid memories I have from the fall is looking at my waist and watching the alpine draw extend. I stared at the thin strip of nylon that was supposed to keep me safe and thought to myself, that shouldn't be happening right now. You're going to hit the ground. It's kind of surprising that I took up rock climbing in the first place. I'm absolutely terrified of heights and I have been for a very long time. But my partner, John, started climbing a few years ago to get in shape after quitting a 15-year smoking habit, and I wanted to support him. So I'd go to the climbing gym with him sometimes. Because of my fear of heights, I kept feeling sheepish about the sport. I would go up on a route in the gym, freak out, come down, and swear I would never climb again. But strangely, I kept coming back to the sport. I kept trying new and more difficult techniques. Working through the physical puzzle of putting your body in just the right position kept me engaged in a meditative way. Nothing else mattered on the wall but your body and the rock. This intense focus kept calling to me and forcing me to try, despite my fears. In the meantime, about three years ago, I quit my miserable job as a licensed architect and started my own business as a freelance writer and digital marketing consultant. I wanted what a lot of people want, I wanted the freedom and flexibility to choose who I worked with and the ability to go on more adventures. The corporate world didn't suit me and I wanted to be in charge of my daily work life. Starting my own freelance business seemed like the ticket to freedom. 
But what I discovered is that one thing no one tells you about starting your own business is that it'll strip you completely naked. All of that armor you've built around yourself over the years quickly corrodes. You'll be left standing there naked and raw as your purest self, with all your fears, lack of confidence, and self-doubt thrown right back into your face. Because everything relies on you. All the decisions are yours, and you have to have the confidence and strength to figure out how to run a business, make money, and be successful. And for me, that was extremely difficult. I found myself one year into my business paralyzed each morning. My insides were screaming and my anxiety was through the roof. The worst part was I couldn't figure out why I felt this way. I thought I had everything figured out. Over the past three years prior, I had systematically reinvented everything about myself. I started getting outside. I discovered backpacking. I had gotten into long distance day hiking. I had ditched an emotionally abusive fiance and found a new clan of incredible friends. I had even found a new partner, John, who supported me and helped me stand tall through it all. Once I quit my job and started my own business, I felt like I had just put the final piece in the puzzle of happiness. But there I was, a year in, and still stuck and couldn't figure out why. After a few gentle nudges, John urged me to try therapy. At first, I was really hesitant. I was scared to get in touch with the flood of emotions that were slowly seeping through the cracks. After several months of prying and prodding, my therapist explained to me that I was suffering from PTSD. At first, I really didn't understand. I hadn't been to a war zone, I hadn't experienced rape, and I hadn't been beaten. How could I have PTSD? My therapist explained that PTSD isn't caused just by the things we usually associate with it, but it can be caused by a variety of factors. For me, being raised in an emotionally abusive household left me terrified of myself and how I relate to the world. Now from the outside, you wouldn't think of my home as abusive. I grew up in an upper middle class family. I wanted for nothing and I had plenty of privilege. There was endless opportunity at my fingertips. Nobody beat me physically and there was no abuse of drugs or alcohol. Everything on the surface seemed fine. But as a child, a babysitter sexually molested me, and my parents ignored it. When I confronted them about the issue, both as a child and again as a teenager, they called me dramatic. That's just the way things are, my mom would say. In fact, they ignored any of my emotional needs. It was like I was being raised by robots with an impossible list of unmeetable expectations looming over me. My parents never told me they loved me until I was 26 years old and I started saying it to them. I can count on one hand the number of times either of my parents have said they were proud of me. None of my accomplishments in my life were ever celebrated. Whenever I did something incredible, they would look at me like I had done nothing and simply ask, what's next? All I ever wanted was for them to cheer me on and say they were proud of me, to tell me that I was enough, just the way I was. I wanted them to stop systematically raising the bar on me. But that never happened. As a result, I never believed in myself. I constantly belittled my achievements and always told myself that I was a nobody. 
All of the hard work I had done was not worth anything compared to the hard work ahead of me. So here I was, at age 31, drowning in a total pit of self-doubt and misery. Despite a solid friend group and partner, I felt utterly alone. I had, in essence, lost my family. I was in intensive psychotherapy to deal with my PTSD, experiencing and reliving the pain and trauma of my childhood every day. The going was tough, and I was prone to explosive emotional outbursts. The one thing that helped, the thing that kept me sane, was climbing. I went out every chance I got. I wasn't very good and I still didn't consider myself a climber. The fear of falling often held me back. But over time, I slowly began to push myself. I started doing longer climbs. I had my first alpine experience in the mountains. And I began to lead on track gear. That's where you're the first one up the cliff and you drag the rope behind you. You place gear to stop you from falling, but if you do fall, you can fall quite a long distance. Leading on trad gear is exciting, but the margin for error is also much higher. If you don't place your gear correctly and you slip, you can take a big, scary, dangerous fall. I was loving it though. Somehow, despite all my initial fears, I had become a climber. All along, I knew that this was an insane privilege. Climbing is seriously expensive. It requires countless hours of learning and training. You need a climbing partner. Also, you need the time and access to reach the crag. Every time I got out on the rock, I would think, wow, how lucky am I to be able to have this in my life? I still wasn't a great climber. I certainly would never become a professional. Falling still terrified me, but I loved the strength I felt from staring right back at my fear of heights. I began to revel in being high up on the cliff, in an exposed environment where few people venture. The fresh air and watching the birds below me was utterly exhilarating. In those moments, tiptoeing on an exposed belay ledge, watching the world from a new perspective, I was reborn. Climbing had become a source of power for me, a place where my PTSD didn't matter, where I could draw strength that translated directly to my struggles in my everyday life. If I could overcome the innate fear of falling, I was sure I could get past the imprinted fear of failure my family bestowed upon me. Climbing helped me create a healthy definition of success. As a climber, you rely on yourself to make tough moves and judgment calls. When it's just me and the rock, I would feel more empowered with every climb. On the wall, I became a strong woman, capable of running a successful business and not needing the long sought after approval from my parents. And then, in a single instant, everything changed. Hey, it's Willow. We'll hear what happened to Meg in just a moment. But first, support for this episode comes from Renogy. Renogy is a renewable energy company that makes solar products for homes, businesses, RVs, and more. They're on a mission to provide tailor-made solutions that let you enjoy an active, outdoorsy lifestyle without having to worry about air pollution, noise pollution, or maintenance. So Renogy sent me one of their solar flashlights to test out, and it's been great. 
Regular flashlights always seem to be out of batteries when you need them most. But since this one has a built-in solar panel, you never have to worry about that. I can just leave it on the windowsill and it's ready whenever I need it. The solar flashlight is just one of many products that Renogy makes. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off your entire order at renogy.com. Just enter the promo code out there at checkout. That's R-E-N-O-G-Y dot com, promo code out there. Renogy, big or small, solar for all. Support also comes from Copper Compression. Copper Compression offers a full range of copper-infused wellness products, like braces, gloves, and sleeves. Summer is often a time when we get injured doing our favorite activities. Copper Compression's products provide targeted relief and the support you need through your active recovery. Copper-infused fabric has antimicrobial and anti-odor properties, and it helps increase blood flow. The unique combination of compression and copper gives you the strength to heal. Copper Compression's products have the highest copper content on the market, guaranteed. And right now, they have a special deal for you. You can get 30% off your first order by going to coppercompression.com slash out there. Again, that's coppercompression.com slash out there. Just click apply code and you'll get 30% off your first order. And now, let's get back to Meg's story. The day I fell was just another day at the cliff. It wasn't a difficult day. John and I were just out for a casual afternoon of easy climbing. We were having fun and enjoying the warm, sunny weather in Boulder Canyon in Colorado. But then I started looking at this more difficult route. It looked a little awkward and it clearly had a tough start, but I figured it was still within my ability. Just in case I was wrong in my judgment, I decided to practice before leading the climb. We set up a top rope where you anchor the rope to the top of the climb. That way I could practice the moves and if I fell, the rope would be right there to catch me. After my practice climb, I decided I was ready to try leading the route. I knew the toughest moves would be right off the start. I put on my helmet and clipped lots of gear to my harness. We ran through our safety checks and then I started climbing. I quickly placed my first piece of gear, a small purple cam. The piece fit perfectly in the crack, a textbook placement. The next move was tough. It was hot and the crack was slippery. I put my hand in the crack and went for it. But before I could make the next move, my hand slipped and I fell. It was the first time I had ever fallen on trad gear. I felt a wave of pride surge through me. The purple cam had caught me perfectly. I put it there, I thought. It held my fall. That's so incredible. You can do this, I told myself. Look at how far you've come as a climber. A sense of self-confidence and positivity flowed through me. I had finally felt like I had begun to heal from the years of self-doubt and sheepishness that had defined me. I decided to try again. I knew the move now, and it wasn't hard. It was just hot, and I needed to move quickly. Again, I got up and made it a bit further. But my hand slipped, and I fell. Just like the first fall, everything held. 
At this point, I really felt like a badass. A climber who wasn't afraid to fall and wasn't afraid to fall on gear either. I decided to try one last time. Again, my hand slipped and I fell. Except this time, things went horribly wrong. I watched in terror as the carabiner attached to my rope opened. This isn't supposed to be happening, I thought, as I came detached from the wall. I was eight to 10 feet off the ground and there was nothing to stop me from slamming into the earth below. I remember thinking at least I would stop falling once I hit the ground. But instead, I bounced backwards down the rocky climber's trail, hurtling towards the cliff behind us. I let out a blood-curdling scream. I saw John flash across my vision. He was belaying me, and since we were tied together, I was now dragging him towards the cliff with me. Desperately, I grabbed out a boulder and hugged with all the strength I had. I braced myself to be pulled over the steep drop-off. Miraculously, we both stopped moving about two feet shy of the cliff. I sat there and tried to wiggle my toes. I gently moved my neck. Everything seemed okay. As I rolled over, I mentally prepared myself to see a compound fracture sticking out of my legs or arms. But I gave myself a once-over and appeared uninjured. There was a shooting pain at my left ankle. My pants were completely ripped up the butt crack and down the leg. I was bleeding mildly in several locations and covered in scratches, but overall I had managed to fall, hit the ground, and then tumble an additional 25 feet over rocky terrain and walk away. John seemed okay too, except for a battered up shin. We collected our gear and with some help, I managed to hop on my good leg down the precarious climber's trail to the car. Somehow the two of us had endured a complete freak climbing accident and walked away. We were thankful to be conscious and able to drive ourselves home. When I got home, I was pissed. I was mad at myself for not getting through that one difficult move. I was upset that I couldn't finish the route. I had a strong urge to try the climb again. I couldn't accept that I had had a brush with death and convince myself mentally that I was fine. There was a strong pull for me to get back out there as soon as possible. I wasn't going to let the emotions of the fall overcome me. I didn't want to be weak. Just five days after my climbing accident, while the bruises were still fresh, I went climbing with my good friend Kat. As we started up the rock face, I felt sore and a little on edge, but relatively okay. But partway up the route, my mental state started to go downhill. Panic and fear settled into my mind. What was I doing here? Why was I playing with fire? The voices in my head were screaming in terror, just like they did when I fell. We topped out and celebrated our accomplishment, but as I hiked back down to the car, I felt betrayed. That source of power had dwindled. I was left feeling naked and exposed again, depressed, alone, and scared, unable to accept what had happened to me. The one thing that had brought me strength had betrayed me, and I felt like I had nothing. For the next several months, I tried to love climbing again. I continued with the embedded attitude of pushing through the pain. Instead of pausing to heal mentally, I kept trying to raise the bar on myself 
in order to push the newfound panic aside. I tried to jump on harder climbs instead of taking the difficulty down a notch. I lived in total denial, trying to jump right back to where I was before the accident. I couldn't accept that I was suffering from PTSD yet again from the one thing that had brought me strength. I slipped into a secret depression. I had panic attacks at the climbing gym while belaying John, but I couldn't quit. The only thing I knew how to do was swallow all the negative emotions and keep pushing. While all this was going on, I grew even more distant from my family. My parents and I were already on shaky ground. I hardly spoke to my dad, and I didn't talk with my mom about what I was feeling. Instead, we kept our limited conversations to superficial topics. I was tired of continuing to subject myself to the pain they had caused me. The turning point finally happened four months later. Kat and I decided to get out of town on a little climbing getaway. Our destination was Indian Creek, Utah, which is famous for beautiful but challenging climbs. I had my eye on South Shooter Peak, a mellow climb up a tower in the desert. I looked out at the tower for several days before we climbed and the anxiety built up. Kat was patient with me as I nervously racked up my gear once again, fear and terror came over me as I looked at the rock. All of those what-ifs just came flooding back. A huge part of me wanted to bail, but I knew I needed to lead again. I breathed in deeply and began the climb. To my surprise, I felt really strong. For the first time since the accident, I felt the joy come back to the sport. I still had nerves and I felt unsure at times, but I was able to accept that this feeling's okay. The revelation that you can be strong and still unsteady rang in my head as I jammed my hands into the beautiful sandstone cracks. You're okay, it's okay to be scared, I assured myself. I didn't need to push myself to the limit and continue raising the bar on myself, just like my parents did for all those years. I could just enjoy doing a climb that wasn't too hard for me. As I topped out on the climb, I whooped with joy. Not just because my friend and I had climbed our first desert tower, but because I finally started to feel whole again. Once I got home, I can't say I magically got better. Climbing continues to trend upwards for me, but I still have bad days. I still experience trauma and react, just like I'm still triggered by certain behaviors from others. But I stopped having panic attacks. I finally realized that I had to accept that climbing had changed, and I had changed. This sport, which had been my crutch through one of the more tumultuous times in my life, had changed for me. But just because it changed didn't mean I had to give up on it. I love the sport, and I can't picture my life without it, I just had to shift how I viewed it. I had to stop beating myself up for not being stronger. I had to stop chastising myself for feeling fear. And I had to accept that climbing wasn't going to make me feel stronger and powerful all of the time. Sometimes it was just going to chew me up and spit me out. And I had to be okay with that. 
I had to accept my relationship with climbing for what it was. Now when I'm climbing, I'm able to channel my fears and refocus them if I'm not having a good day. Instead of pushing, I've learned to accept things as they are and have fun first. This has trickled down to other aspects of my life. I can now accept that it's okay not to have the perfect business 100% of the time. And more importantly, I've changed how I relate to my parents. I no longer seek a strong connection with them. Just like I didn't give up climbing, I haven't given up on my relationship with my mom because she's my mom and I love her, but I don't need her approval in my life anymore. In fact, I really haven't spoken to her or my dad in depth about the accident and I'm not sure that I ever will. Our relationship is still pretty rocky, but instead of resenting that, I've accepted that it's okay for my relationship with them to be what it is. Just like climbing cannot be my sole source of strength all the time, my parents are not there for me emotionally. Each day that passes, that becomes more okay in my mind as I learn to rely on myself for approval. We never truly conquer the rock, just like we never truly conquer our pasts. But that doesn't mean we aren't enough. It just means we need to accept our reality as perfect, just the way it is. She's a freelance content writer living in Denver, Colorado. You can see more of her work, including her outdoor blog at foxintheforest.net. And we have a link to that on our website as well. Big thank you to all of our patrons, including Doug Frick, Mike Lutters, and Deb and Vince Garcia. Patrons are listeners who support Out There with monthly financial contributions. These contributions are a bedrock of our budget. We couldn't make the show without them. If you're interested in helping Out There thrive and grow, head over to patreon.com slash outtherepodcast. You can pledge as much or as little as you like, even if it's just a dollar or two a month. We have all sorts of wonderful thank you gifts to offer you. And best of all, when you become a patron, you'll get that warm, fuzzy feeling inside that comes from knowing you've done something good. Again, that's all at patreon.com slash outtherepodcast. And as always, if you'd like to just make a one-time donation, we are on Venmo at outthere-podcast. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Sheba Joseph is our audience growth director. Our interns are Aja Simpson, Natalia Lutterman, and Kara Schaefer. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you in two weeks.